Psalm 106, and as kind of cool as I was looking at uh, how Pastor Chuck taught uh, through the Bible, this is one of the few times where he actually taught only one chapter. And so I, uh, I'm going to do that today. As we go through this psalm, uh, adoration, you'll see it in the very beginning. Then there's a whole lot of confession. Any of you guys ever uh, do confession, just out of curiosity, before you were a Protestant? Any of you guys ever go into the confessional booth? Um, I was thinking about how Martin Luther, uh, some people say he was insane because he would go into the confessional booth for four hours. You know, typically the monks, because they were required to go to confession every single day, so typically they would be in there, uh, you know, two, three, four minutes because they would have to confess their sins that they had done, you know, the previous day. So they wake up, you know, go in there. But man, this guy, Martin Luther, would be in there for hours, tormented by his sin. And so we're, we're going to see some of that uh, tonight. We're going to see a lot of confession. And hopefully it's a stimulus for us all, you guys. Uh, even though you might not no longer be Roman Catholic, let me ask you a question. Do you confess your sins? Do you ever say, do you ever get specific on the things that you've done I think in, sometimes it's a healthy thing to do. I think for the most part what we end up doing is we end up saying, Lord, forgive me for my sins. This is this general vague thing. And then gimme, 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 gimme. And it's like, wait a minute, time out. You know, we really need to clean house. We need to get right. We need to bring it all out on the table. Bring it before the Lord. Deal with these things. Because otherwise, that's why a lot of Christians, they get stuck. They don't go anywhere because they're not really dealing with the things that are getting in the way of the Holy Spirit moving in their life. And it's not going to happen until we clean house, until we come to that place of confessing our sins and forsaking our sins. And so that's why I'm excited about 1 Corinthians as well, because 1 Corinthians, uh, one of the main reasons I want to go through 1 Corinthians, to be honest with you, is I want to get into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want our church to be, you know, speaking words of, that are prophetic, words that, uh, of knowledge, words of wisdom, um, tongues, interpretation of tongues. You know, I want we believe in the perpetuity of spiritual gifts, but Calvary chapels, a lot of times, we don't exercise them the way that we should. And that's why another reason I think that, you know, we're not seeing the Lord move the way that I believe he wants to move is because sometimes we're quenching the spirit. And so I, I can't wait to get to that part in chapter 12. We'll see it in chapter 14. But up until then, because uh, we, you know, teaching through a book, we have to go through First Corinthians, and you guys are going to see that what Paul does is he cleans house because he is the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you're living in sin, you know, you might be the one that, that's, that's getting in the way from God moving in, in this amazing way that he wants to move so this is what I would say to you. If you don't want to get right, then you got to go somewhere else. But my, my preference, of course, would be that you would just want to get right. That God is here to forgive you. God is here to restore you. But if you're not going to be real with God, then, then don't hinder the movement of the Holy Spirit in this church. 
Joshua chapter 6 and then chapter 7, and you see about how uh, the sin of Achan got in the way of the congregation experiencing that victory that God had for them. And so, you know, it's kind of cool. We're going to see that here. And then as we start on Sunday mornings, we're going to see that as well. Uh, adoration, a confession, kind of mingled with thanksgiving. We'll see it in our psalm. And then at the very end, it's supplication. It's like, okay, Lord, now save me. Now move in a mighty way. And so this psalm was more than likely written at a time when Israel was being disciplined by God. Uh, most teachers believe it was when they were in captivity in Babylon. And maybe you're here, you know, and you're in the middle of being disciplined by God. And I pray that you would know it's because he loves you. But God loves us. And so, you know, when we disobey, he doesn't disown us. But he does discipline us. And the purpose of that discipline is that we would learn and turn from our sin and return to God. To this beautiful, wonderful, amazing relationship that we can have with the God of the universe. And so that's what the chastening is for. And so we're going to look back on Israel's history, and some of it we can relate to. Uh, hopefully, you know, we can learn from their mistakes. But one of the things that we, we, know we see whenever we study history is that if we don't learn from it, we're doomed to repeat it. And so we're going to see in this psalm a lot of history. And so again, uh, have you guys ever heard of that acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication? It's kind of like that here. It begins with adoration. Notice in verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Now remember, they're in Babylon. They're, they're in captivity and they're not in an easy situation, but I love it. I love the way that it begins with praise. You know, God is good, right? All the time, right? And all the time, God is good. And so let's praise him for that. Whatever you're going through, he's working it out for good. Praise God for that, right? And we got to make sure that we thank him for that. His mercy endures for how long? forever forever you know and that's a good thing to know as well because ch Spurgeon said something interesting since man ceases not to be sinful it is a great blessing that the lord ceases not to be merciful right what is what is mercy mercy is not getting what we deserve i'm so grateful that god is merciful he's full of mercy and that's what we see, we experience as God's covenant people. That back then in those days and even us, you know, nowadays, you know. And, and one of the things I think that might be good for, for me to, to share with you guys is sometimes people will look at me and they say, well, Manny, well, I don't know, probably some of you guys know, how many of you know that I'm a wretched, wicked sinner? Raise your hand. I am, you know, I remember years back, years back, as a Christian, you know, getting upset, and I can't tell you guys the whole story, but you know what I did? I hit the glass, and we had this glass by our door, just bam, you know, because I'm a pretty strong dude, and, and it broke, the whole glass broke. It would be like some of you here, maybe some of you guys, man, you punch the wall, you ever punch a hole in the wall, you know, stuff like that. I mean, we all here, I think, are susceptible to, to get angry and do things and maybe raise our voice. 
You know, and so, you know, I got to tell you, that, that's me too. I, I blow it. I, I fall short. But I thank God for his mercy. People might think I'm a mellow fellow. Well, for the most part, I am. But I have my, my days, you know. And so I thank God that he has been merciful to me. You know, and here they are in Babylon. They're going through this situation. And, and what has happened at the end of the day is they have not been consumed. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, Lamentations, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Lamentations was written right after the children of Israel had been taken into captivity into Babylon. And the men were slain and the women were ravished. And they were there under the control of Babylon. And in all reality, they should have been consumed. But by the mercies of God, they continued as a nation and that's what you know we see here as God's covenant people, as goodness and mercy is lavished upon us. But here's the thing, that, that, that as you experience that, as you experience that love, that life, that forgiveness, that mercy, that grace, this relationship that we have with God, that, it, that my, my prayer is that it would produce this praise, this gratitude, and ultimately a heart that would beat to obey God. Because if that's not your heart, then you got to be careful that you don't mess up the church. If you're struggling with sin, tell somebody about it. we got to lay it out on the open because don't you want to see God move? I pray that you do, because if you don't, and if you're here and all you want to do is hinder the work of God, then he's going to deal with you. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about that. It talks about some people who want to destroy the temple of God. And the context there in chapter 3 is talking about the local congregation. So you better fear God. You better fear God. Today I was talking to a brother and he was telling me about, you know, how he's, you know, one of the cool things I love to see is people sharing the Lord at work. And so, you know, they run into people and just, you know, tracks and invitations. And so, you know, he went up to this one guy and he, and he just, you know, sharing the Lord with him. And the guy wanted nothing to do with it, nothing to do with it. And so that's fine. You know, we're going to share the Lord sometimes. People are going to persecute us, Right. But then what ends up happening is this guy gets a dream job and he goes and he's working and who knows, maybe he's close to home, maybe he's making him a lot of money, doesn't want to hear the gospel. Next thing you know, he dies. He dies. And that's a scary thing. You know, we can't mess around with God. He's a holy God. He's an awesome God. And I'm not saying that we're ever going to reach a place where we're perfect. But we have to be real. And, and as we see this, this psalm, God disciplining his children there in Babylon, you know, there's some things to, to think about. It begins with adoration and, and praise. Look at verse 2. He says, Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice, and he who does righteousness notice at all times. 
Who can share? I think the emphasis of verse 2 is grace. But then notice the blessings in verse 3 upon those who, who do righteousness at all times. That's the goal, huh? Is there ever a day, is there ever a moment, is there ever a thought, is there ever a word, is there ever an action where you're like, you know what, I don't really care if this pleases God or not. No way, never, ever bring every thought into captivity, everything that comes out of our mouth, every attitude that we have should be pleasing. At least the goal should be, I want to please God. Right? And that's what he's talking about right here. This is verse 2, grace. Who can share? And this is the goal. And then the prayer in verse 4, remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation. You know, again, he's probably in captivity, so he prays for favor, for salvation, for God's visitation. You know, it was kind of cool because we saw it time and time again in Colombia. One of the phrases we heard over and over and over again was God showed up. God showed up. And that's the visitation that we need. We need God to show up. Imagine going, you know, wherever it is that you're going to, some missions trip, and you're like, oh, you're thinking you're all bad. You're like, hey, the Americans are here. (laughs) Without God, give me a break. It doesn't matter if the Americans show up. We're nothing. God shows up when God shows up. And that's the visitation that he's praying for, right? The prayer is for God's visitation from heaven, God's salvation for the heart. And at the end of the day, the truth is that we're too sick to go to the doctors. And so thank God that the great physician comes to us. And that's what he's praying right here in in, in verse 5, that I may see it, Lord, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. And so again, he's in captivity, but he's asking for joy. He's asking for joy in verse 5. Let me ask you a question. Are you here tonight and you have no joy? You know, this guy, I have a feeling, I have a hunch, that's where he was at. Did you know that you can pray for that? You know, it's a lot different than happiness. Happiness is so superficial. Happiness is so dependent upon our circumstances. Happiness is something that is just, it's, it's fleeting, it's human. But when it's joy, it's completely different. There's this smile of your heart. There's this joy that you cannot be robbed of. God gives that. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's praying. Even though he's in the middle of this difficult situation, he's praying that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation and the glory with your inheritance. You know, the Bible says that weeping may endure for a night in Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, but it says that joy comes in the morning. And so he he prays for himself, and, and then he prays for the nation. And I love the way that he identifies with the sins of the people. Notice in verse 6, it, he says, We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed nakedness. We have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, uh, the Red Sea. 
And remember when I was telling you about confession, not just like some vague thing, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Okay, well, no, tell me what you did. What did you do? What did you do wrong? Tell it to God. Lay it out there. And so he gives an example now. He says, we have sinned. He's identifying with them. And it was in the very beginning. It's almost like you can't believe it. I've got to say it twice. By the sea, by the Red Sea. Can you believe it? There we sinned. You know, and uh, confession is so important for us. The Bible says that, right? Uh, if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you don't confess your sins, I'm not saying you're not saved, but you're walking around with dirty feet and your sins have separated you from God. And that's another reason why you are not experiencing the power of God in your life. You know, to confess our sins is not just to say it. It's homo logeo. It means to say the same thing about it that God says about it. And so if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what does that mean? That means that we're, boom, we are, man, we're back in this right relationship with God. You know, Proverbs, it says the same thing in chapter 28, verse 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You know, and you got people, and they might be prospering financially, but who cares about that? I mean, that can't make anybody, you know, happy, much less joyful, Money, is that what life is about while well, they're prospering financially? Absolutely not. I want to prosper in God's plans for my life. That's what I want to prosper in. And so if you, confess, if you cover your sins, then what ends up happening is you, you won't prosper. But when you confess and forsake them, then you experience this mercy and so, you know, here he is confessing. And he begins, first of all, with how they fell so short there at the Red Sea, right? How uh, after, you guys know, hopefully you've read your Old Testament. Have you guys been reading the Old Testament? Uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to read your Old Testament, read your New Testament, read your Proverbs every day, Psalms at night. Saturate yourself in the Scriptures, when I got saved in 1989, my pastor, he encouraged me, read the Bible every year. And so I've read it every year ever since I've been a Christian. And it, over the years, it just kind of sinks in. And these stories, they really solidify. You know, and you remember when God brought the people out of Egypt and the man, the plagues, you know, the, how he stretched out his arm, basically, and he flexed his muscles. Ha, have you guys ever seen uh, guys, you know, flex their, their muscles? I, I would do it right now, but I, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> There's not really much to show, but some of those guys, that's what God did. He flexed his muscles. He showed how strong he was. And then when they came to the Red Sea, they had mountains on both sides, the Egyptian army behind them. And what did the children of Israel do? They completely panicked. They freaked out. They doubted. And that's where it, it began. You know, God had delivered them from Egypt, but now for some reason they were doubting that he could deliver them from the Egyptian army. Exodus 14, 11 through 12 says, Then they said to Moses, you know, here's the people, and they're talking to Moses, and they think they're going to die. And they said, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? 
Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And and tragically, you know, after all that God had done, if I could just say it this way, how dare they doubt? But we do that sometimes, huh? You know, Warren Wiersbe said Israel preferred the security of slavery over the challenge of liberty. I would much rather have the the challenges, you know, and the enemy after me and being in the perfect will of God. And yeah, life is uncomfortable sometimes and whatever. Being there, I'd much rather be there than be back in the world, back in Egypt where life was, you know, comfortable but out of the will of God. And so here they are. And we have to be so careful, too, wherever you are, whatever you're going through. If I could just say this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's only one thing you've got to fear, and that is God. Other than that, you don't, you don't fear death. You don't fear, fear anything. I mean, he saved us by giving his son to die for us. I mean, if he gave his son to die for us, he will not abandon us, no matter what we're going through. We have to be so careful because what happens a lot of times is seeds of doubt, they find a way into our heart. There's a home left unchecked. And those seeds of doubt will eventually reap a horrible harvest. And so we have to be careful. We don't have anything to fear. We don't have anything to panic. You know, when uh, they first told me I was going to uh, Columbia, they told me, and I was excited. I'm like, hey, this is going to be cool. But, you know, they sent me a message and they said, you're going to have to rent a car. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be driving in Colombia? <laughs> I, I, you know, I've been to other countries. You know, you guys don't realize, you know, you may think the traffic's bad here. But, man, in some tr- countries, driving there can really be like putting your life on the line. And so... You know, there's a part of me that thinking maybe I shouldn't go, but that was just a real fleeting thought. And I said, absolutely not. If I have to drive in Colombia and die there, that's okay. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But, you know, so I said, that's fine. You know, I'm going to go. I mean, I'm not even going to, God's going to work it out. And it was a blessing. I didn't have to rent a car after all. Thank God. You know, they drove us around. But, you know, sometimes I think that we can allow fear to paralyze us from entering into this wonderful plan that God has for our life, you know. And not that I've always uh, done good. I've had many failures and, you know, I've made it past some sticky situations at the same time. But it's so cool when you see people, they're facing cancer without fear because they know that their life is in God's hands or whatever the case may be, you know. But when you're there and then you start, you know, freaking out and you take God out of the equation, it's a, lift, it's a different, that's, what, that's where, the, where they were at there at the Red Sea and the enemy swinging his double-edged sword of doubt and discouragement. But, but notice how gracious God is in verse 8. It says, nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also and it dried up think about that so he he led them through the depths as through the wilderness he saved them from the hand of him who hated them 
and redeem them from the hand of the enemy. The waters, uh, on the contrary, covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. And that, that's just grace. That's just uh, amazing grace. As a matter of fact, we read in Exodus 14:28, Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, not so much as one of them uh, remained. And, and we have a couple of visuals here, just in case you guys haven't seen the movie. Um, imagine what that was like, man, going through the Red Sea like that, God just dividing it, them going through probably three million people, and then the Egyptian army coming after them, and then just the waters just falling down on them. This is what God does to our enemies. Do we understand this? Do we know who is, if God is for us, then who can be against us? The only one that can defeat us is us. That's why we just have to have this childlike faith and believe the Bible. You take out those steps of faith and you share the gospel and sometimes you're just planting or watering. Sometimes you get to see a great harvest, but please, whatever you do, don't fear man. Don't fear the world. Don't fear the enemy. You know, God then came in and he showed him grace. And notice what we read in verse 12. And then they believed his words and they sang his praise. You know, and so, man, imagine seeing that. How many of you guys are hoping in heaven that we get to have a video of that whole thing? You know, but if you saw it and you experienced it, you'd be like, yes, believing and singing, right? And so everything's good. They believed, they behaved, they saw, they sang. They then lived holy and happily ever after, right? Not quite. If you read your Bible, you know the very next verse. It says, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. You know, and God does this amazing thing. You know, God saves you. Do you remember the day that he saved you or the season that he saved you? And then here you are, and it doesn't take long before you know it. You're doubting. You're going the wrong way. How soon we forget. We're forgetful people. It doesn't take long. You know, I know for me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. Sometimes I meet somebody. Hey, how you doing? My name is, you know, they tell me their name. I mean, like 10 seconds later, I'm like, what's their name? What's their name, you know? And I'm hoping someone will say their name when I forgot. And I'll be honest, I, I confess to you guys, sometimes people come up even asking for prayer. They tell me their name, and as I'm about to pray, I'm like, Lord, bless my brother. <laughs> I'm a terrible way when it comes to that, so forgive me, but I will say this, that uh, you know, a lot of times God does these things, these amazing things, and for whatever reason, we forget his works. It says there in verse 13, they soon forgot his works. And whether it be there at the Red Sea or the day after the manna found down to feed them, they forgot what they got, not willing to wait, it says right there, not willing to trust God. They're never satisfied. They have these serious cravings for God. They want to eat meat. And I will say this real quick in Colombia, there's a lot of meat 
there. Uh, you know, you're wondering, what kind of food? Did you guys see the tamales? Delicious empanadas, delicious. The empanadas are like our tacos. That's their uh, tacos, empanadas. But man, for lunch, we're talking big old steaks like that. And so after a while, I said, man, give me some chicken because there's a lot of meat there. But it's crazy how uh, people are ruled by food. You know, we have to, in all areas, keep our body appetites under control. You know, and I don't want to get weird or legalistic or anything, but sometimes, you know, God is just saying, hey, why don't you fast today? You know, take the day off. Uh, and some of you guys, maybe you can't do it because of physical reasons or medical reasons, but, you know, they're, they're probably, Jesus didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. But, but a lot of times people don't. Why? Because they want to eat. And so that can get in the way. Even Esau, if you think about it, man, God was going to bless him. God was going to give him the, the right of the firstborn. And what did he do? He said, uh, I'd rather trade it in for some menudo, remember? And so his brother ended up getting blessed instead. Why? Because he just could not keep his body appetites under control. Here they were. They were lusting for meat. They had this great, you know, manna. But man, it wasn't enough. It says in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, the mixed multitude, they were the ones among them, yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel, they wept and they said, who will give us meat to eat? And then Numbers 11, verse 13, you know, as Moses is trying to get this meat for three million people, where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. And then later in Numbers eleven thirty through 34, it says, Now wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, about two cubits above the surface of the ground. So think about this. All quail, for as long as you can walk for a whole day, depending on who you are, they say 20 to 30 miles so 30 miles of quail all the way around, all this meat, because they were kicking their, they were like a two-year-old throwing a tantrum saying, God, give me what I want. And one of the things you'll find in the Bible is that if you're going to approach it that way, if you're going to kick that door down, then he'll give it to you. But then what you're going to experience, and this is even not just the fact that 24,000 people died in this plague, but, but it was even worse is that he sent leanness to their souls. And that's the last thing in the world that we want. You guys, we have this relationship with God, and, and he lives in us, and he fills us, and he floods us, and our cup, it, it overflows torrents of living water. We should not be walking around with holes in our hearts. There should not be like a leanness in our soul because we insisted on getting what we wanted. You know, you guys ever heard that saying, there are two types of people in the world, those who say, God, thy will be done, and the others to whom God says, okay, have it your way. Which would you rather be? Prayerfully, where are, are those who say, God, your will be done in everything? You know, this is where they were not and so they got what they wanted, but they then received this leanness in their soul. It was gluttony. It was ingratitude in for the manna. Uh, this is all I'm going to get, God. You mean to tell me that you're not going to, 
you know, make me, you know, to the next level, you know, ever. And I, there's a lot of things that we find ourselves, you know, where we're just not, we're not content. And God sees the, the, the things, the complaining, you know, the discontentment. We might be full physically, but we're empty spiritually. McLaren called us full-fed flesh makes starved souls. Now, only God knows at the end of the day where each individual was, but no, no doubt for some of them there, it's okay to say that they ate it on earth and they digested it in hell. So be careful. You know, these guys, unfortunately, they wouldn't learn their lesson. They, they doubted. How dare they doubt? But they doubted. They, they were, you know, worshiping their dinner and then the next thing you know, there's division. In verse 16, it says, When they envied Moses in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the faction of Abiram. A fire was kindled in their company and the flame burned up the wicked. And you got to read this story. If you haven't read this story, you got to read Numbers chapter 16. This was actually a, a, a mutiny against Moses and against his leadership and against Aaron. And they, these guys, they weren't content with the position that they had. And so they went to Moses and said, who do you think you are? You know, putting yourself there as the leader. When in all reality, Moses did not even want that place. He did not want that position of leadership. But they, they were there and they were envious and they were jealous. And so they came against Moses and they were trying to, you know, create this mutiny. 250 leaders were behind them. They were coming against God's anointed. And so what ends up happening is God goes uh, to Korah and with these guys. And the Bible says that the earth opened up and it swallowed them. I think we have a visual of this here we actually have a video. No, I'm just joking. We don't have a video. <laughs> and I don't know if that's what it looked like. Um, I, I always visualize Pac-Man. Maybe it could have been like sand, you know, like just quicksand and they all fell in. I don't know. But man, one of the things that I've learned over the years is not to come against God's anointed. I ha I've learned that. So, so be so careful. Here there was that the division and uh, it was an unreasonable envy. We're going to see even later in 1 Corinthians as we start that book that they were dealing with that as well. There was division in the church. And so there's this confection, confession. They doubted. They lusted. Mutiny. And then sexual uh, sins. In verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they change their glory, notice their glory, into the image of an ox that eats grass. I mean, they, they kind of made themselves like animals. They, they forgot God. There it is again, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. And you read this story in Exodus chapter 32, and you see the digression. In verse uh, 7, they did not remember the multitude of your mercies. And then in verse 13, they soon forgot his works. And then in verse 21, they forgot God. 
And that's, I think, sometimes I wonder, like, how are these pastors, how do they fall into sexual sin? How does someone with such an anointing and such a, such a gift and having experienced so much grace, how do they fall into sin, you know, and they're stealing from the church or they're, you know, sleeping with the women and, and this is the only way possible is, is God is taken out of their life. They, they forgot God. And so what we find is this is something that I think as he's confessing these sins, you know, he's, he's warning them. They're learning from history. They're doomed to repeat it unless they learn and turn and return to God. We've got to look back. I mean, the worst thing that in the world you want to do is keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. You know? I mean, right here is so cool how Moses, I mean, justice would have been you're dead. You know, you're going to die and, you know, you're going to go to hell forever. You know, but Moses he stood in the gap for them. And the Bible even says in Deuteronomy 9, verse 25, that he prostrated himself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He kept prostrating himself before the Lord as he was praying for the people. And you guys know, huh, what that's all about? You know what that's all about? That's all about Jesus. That's all about what Jesus has done for us. How what we deserve is, is instant hell and judgment. But the Lord Jesus Christ came down and laid down his life and died on that cross for us. So that we would not experience what we deserve. We don't get judgment. As a matter of fact, he showers us with grace. We get this blessing of heaven forever and life uh, that is abundant on earth. And, and what we find is it's a picture of Jesus. So it's kind of cool going through everything. There is a confession. There is a thanksgiving. There is a history lesson here. And, and he continues on. Um, we're going to have to go real quick in verse 24. Then they despise the, the pleasant land. And that's so sad because that's in reference to you know, the, the, the land of promise, victorious Christian living. This was their destiny. This is, they did not believe his word. You read that in Numbers 13. But they complained. Notice where they complained. In their tents. Sometimes Christians think, well, as long as I don't say anything in front of Manny or at the church, I'll just kind of talk a little smack behind his back and we'll do it there at the house. You think that God can't hear? We think that God can't hear? That's why I hate gossip. I hate it. I hate slander because I fear God. That's what they're doing. They're complaining in their tents. They did not heed the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised up his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. And that's, again, they're still God's covenant people. Uh, they're not consumed, but let me tell you something, man. They are suffering big time. You know, they joined themselves to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus, they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague was broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. Remember what Phinehas did? He, these two, they were doing sexual sins. They were flaunting in front of Moses, going into the tent. And so Phinehas goes in there with a spear, and boom, he just goes right through both of them while they're in the middle of the act. 
It was just God, you know, giving him that holy zeal and and it was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. Read that Numbers chapter 25 and verse 32. They angered him also at the waters of strife so that it went ill with Moses on account of them because they rebelled against God's spirit so that he spoke rashly with his lips. And this is something we read about in Numbers chapter 20 verses 1 through 13. And this is when the people were complaining, we want water, we want water. Can't believe you brought us out here to kill us. And so Moses goes to God and God says, okay, I just want you to speak to the rock. And what does Moses do? He goes and he gets his rod and he smites the rock. You rebel people. And then what ends up happening is God says to Moses, just for that, because you didn't hallow me in their presence, you can't go into the promised land. And, I, and I, whenever I read that, I fear God because, man, the one thing I want in my life is I want, I want the promised land. I want everything that God has for me. I don't want to die one day not having finished my race, the race that he had set for me. But if we're, not, if we're not careful, this could happen. Moses here, the meekest man on earth, the Holy Spirit said, blew it with his anger. They angered him in verse 32 also at the waters of strife. And then verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them. But they mingled with the Gentiles. They learned their works. They served their idols which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and thy land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. And so... um. One of the things that you'll find, and, and I, if, you, if you're here and you have kids, and especially if they're, they're younger, but even, who knows, maybe even if, even if they're older, and you think that you can go out and you can get high and you can do drugs and you can go and drink and you can look at porn and you can sin and you can do whatever you want and you think it won't ruin your children. What are you thinking? And right here, ultimately, it's because they didn't separate themselves from the, the, the people of the land. They mingled with them. They learned their wakes. They started worshiping their idols. It, it came to this place that was so spiritually insane that they would offer their children to the god of Molech. And this god of Molech was this you know, statue. It was heated up. They would actually become red hot. And then they would they put their children on the God of Molech. The God of Molech was considered the God of prosperity. And isn't it interesting how today we sacrifice our children through abortion because we think, well, maybe we can't financially, you know, swing it or whatever. It's inconvenient or whatever. And, and sometimes people think, well, abortion's new. No, it's not. It's not new. It's the same demon. And, and I have to be careful here. Like if you've had... This man, God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness. 
God will wash away your sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. But whatever you do, we have to know. It was interesting. In 2015, our country had already killed 50 million children through abortion. I think there's 3,000 every day. For every, what is it, 1,000 live births, there's 188 abortions. That's why it's good that we're getting involved in this. I talked to Rich. I said, man, this has definitely got to be one of our our, our ministries where we get behind the options program, but that's not new. This is what they were doing. How did it happen? It happened because they were not, you know, creating those boundaries. They were going and and if you're here today and you're you know you're a Christian, your best friend should be a Christian. You shouldn't have like best friends that are non Christians because what kind of advice are they going to give you? It doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from everybody because then how are we going to reach out to the lost? But, you know, there's those, God will give you wisdom on exactly how to, you know, navigate through all these things. You know, what we see is that when they went in uh, to the land, they, they did not drive out the people. And so eventually they could not drive out the people that didn't belong. And so uh, we read, are we in verse 40? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people so that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles and those who hated them ruled over them. What a terrible place to be. You know, I can see someone right there. You know what? I can see someone right there in jail. In jail. He was a fine young man. When he used to come here to Calvary Chapel, Almania, a fine young man. So much potential. Now he's doing life in prison. I mean, I could, that could happen to me just like that. I go, I get drunk. Before I was a Christian, I used to get drunk and drive. And, and imagine, you know, me getting drunk and dri- driving. I mean, I might die, but worse, I might kill somebody. You know, and, and, and what do we find here? God saying, listen, we have to be so careful you know, this wrath, he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel. See, because that's where I think we get messed up, you guys. We're like, well, many times God delivers us. Many times God forgives us. Samson said, oh, I'll just get up again. Everything's going to be cool. And he didn't realize that the spirit had departed. They were brought low uh, for their iniquity. And so this is Israel. These are God's people. We learn, hopefully, you guys, we learn from their lesson. You know, we learn from their history. If we don't, then we're doomed to repeat it. Why? Because we all have the, whole, the same sinful nature. How many of you here would acknowledge that you have the potential to get mad? I'm just curious. You have the potential to get mad, to, 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 to punch the wall. To, <laughs> you know, hopefully you don't. I mean, I'm just saying it, it can happen to any of us. I mean, you know, how, anything can happen. And so we learn from them, no, not me, not my family, not this church. No, not under my watch, Lord here I am today, and I'm just going to learn from them. I'm going to turn from my sin, and I'm going to return 
to God. And I know this, Lord, that if I come to you, there's no one like you. You'll never cast me away. That's why we come to church service. You know, we come to learn the Bible. Praise God for that. But we come to do business with God. You know, and if we're not in that right relationship with him, you know, then, then we settle accounts right here and right now. And, that, and that's why the, he goes through this whole thing. And like I said in the early part is there's a praise and then he goes through all the confession and thanksgiving. But then he ends with a supplication in verse 44. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry and for their sake, he remembered his covenant, relented according to the multitude of his mercies. He's also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. I mean, God showed them so much grace. Even when they were in Babylon, God gave them favor. And so here it is, verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord.